Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Mates in Courage. Take a listen. G'day, Graeme. How have you been? I've been pretty good, Ellie. I've been struggling with a few old man's issues and uh, the, the lurgy, but I'm, I'm pretty good. It's good to see you. Yeah, thanks, Graeme. You came here a couple of days ago and you spoke to a bunch of people, which was pretty impressive about uh, judgment. And I noticed the reaction in the crowd as they heard what you said about judgment, mm-hmm. and it really pushed a lot of buttons. And I think that's a pretty good topic for us to continue with. Okay, so it's uh, it's been good here at the farm. You gathered a bit of bit of a crowd of seven or eight people. Yeah, it was a huge crowd, but it was <laughs> <laughs> it was it was good. But that's what it's like out here. You know, it's just a little country area, a long way from anywhere, and a bunch of people get together and talk about real life stuff. So it's great. Yeah. So what thoughts did it trigger for you? Well, for me, you, you talked about the critical nature of judgment. And, you know, we're going to get into this later about how it's not really our job to judge other people because we don't know their starting point, we don't know their hearts and all that sort of stuff. And it made me think about all the aspects of my life that have been retarded because I allowed judgment to get in the way of my thinking. And mainly that judgment was about myself because I believed other people's judgment about me as I was growing up. Is this when you were a kid? Yeah. Well, when I left... um, I wag school a lot. I think we've talked about this before. I wag school a lot in first year of high school. Mm. And as a result of that, they they were a bit troubled by me and they sent me to see a a vocational guidance counsellor. And I did all the testing and everything. And he just looked at me and said, uh, after four or five hours of testing and sitting with him, he said, "Um, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I want to be an airline pilot. And he said, um, he just leaned back in his chair and laughed. And I (laughs) said, what are you laughing at? And he said, well, your scores don't indicate you've got the intellect to do that. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? What do you think I could do? He said, well, I could get you a, an apprenticeship at Garden Island Naval Dockyard as an apprenticeship's painter. Wow. And I said, what, chipping rust off old ships? And he said, yeah. And yeah. I got really angry and I thought, yeah, that judgment sat with me for a long while and, it, and it, it actually, I started to feel dumb and I didn't want to go back to school and I never, I never attended school from that day on and I was only 13. You, what, you never went back? Never went back. Amazing. The, the deputy principal at the time yeah. got a dispensation to the act to allow me to leave school earlier. Just for you? Just for me. So you could do more fishing? No, I, I, <laughs> there was a condition, <laughs> only if. I had to go and, and uh, see him every Friday during my lunch break from whatever job I had and show him my pay slip. Because oh, okay. back in those days you got paid on Friday, you got a little brown envelope and a little pay slip. Yeah. He wanted to know that I was working to save for flying lessons. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that he did that. It was a very unusual thing to happen because um, I could have gone to reform school if I hadn't gone back to school. And I, I never attended school from that day on. And But as we've already discussed, I'm a senior captain with Qantas now. So that guy's opinion didn't really matter much. But it, it stalled my journey along the way, if you know what I mean. Mm. Every time I thought, you know, here's, a, here's an opportunity to better myself. I held back because I remembered what that guy said, that my intellect wasn't strong enough to do the things that I dreamt of doing. Yeah, I, I remember uh, my brother, uh, he went to see the vocational guidance counsellor at school. Yeah. And uh, it, it's a bit similar because uh, 
uh, he was asked, what do you want to be when, you know, you leave school? And he said, I want to be an electrical engineer. And uh, the guidance counsellor says, you'll never make it because you can't, your math scores aren't good enough. Yeah. Well, he, he just scraped in into uni, you know, by one mark. Yeah. And uh, within uh, four years, he was lecturing all the students who had got in into the same course with the really high scores. Yeah. And he went on to get a PhD and, uh, yeah, very smart fellow. So you sort of wonder what goes on in, in, in these people's heads sometimes when they say these sort of things to, to young fellas. Well, they're judging us out of a book, aren't they? Yeah. You know, like they've learned something. They've just come out of uni and they've, they've learned something. And I wonder whether some vocational guidance counsellor told them one day that they could never be a vocational guidance counsellor. <laughs> I don't know. But at the end of the day, what it taught me was, and I tried to instill this into my kids, if you don't like the first opinion you get, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, keep going until you get the opinion that matters and keep doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because nobody knows us. Nobody knows our heart. How can how can somebody we've never met enter our brain through some kind of program scoring system and work out whether we've got the future that, let's say, God intended us to have? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather have a higher power than anyone on the planet tell me which way I'm going rather than some guy who I've never met before. So how did that affect your life when you were told that? Well... As you think back. Well... I, you know, as as I said, like for example, I, I'm in Qantas now. I've been actually, I've just I've just turned uh, 66, and as a result, I've held a pilot's license for um, half a century. Wow, uh, which is a real milestone for me. So I'm pretty senior. But um, the thing that retarded my journey, even through Qantas, was the fact that they um, they often offered me management positions, and I mm-hmm. knocked them back because I didn't feel good enough. Because there was still an element of, um, even though I'd achieved all the things I was heading for, there was still an element of that voice in the back of my head saying, you haven't got what it takes. So I could have gone on to do other things, which could have been culturally much more beneficial to a big corporation like Qantas, because I've got Mm. a real heart for change. I like to see people flourish in an organisation and I like to work in an organisation mm. where people are flourishing. So it, it affected that. It affected my ability to be a husband and a father. I just felt I just felt inadequate to pretty much every task that was thrown at me, which meant I had to draw deeper in myself to, to go ahead and do it anyway. And mm. there were lots of times where that slowed me down. I could have done it a lot sooner. Yeah, what you're describing, Graeme, is, is a little bit similar to what happened to me and I think to a lot of people, but my reaction was different because mm. you ran away from... Uh, studies and being academic and all that but I threw myself into that because you know I grew up in an environment where I was always I always had the sense that I I was never good enough and uh, here was something that I thought I could be at so I was the nerdy dorky kid at the front of the class sticking their hand up oh pick me pick me being judged by all the kids behind you yeah exactly and I'm judging myself there right there too exactly yeah yeah yeah, I I really tried hard at school did well I did really well at university went right through university you know I went to the top in many ways but you know when I look back it's good that I did it but partially I did it for the wrong reasons no matter what I achieved what awards I achieved what degrees I got I never felt good enough it never satisfied me and I always tried to throw myself into other things that would uh, that would try to prove the uh, the judgment of others wrong and do you still uh, feel that way yeah I do in in a it hangs on it hangs on and it's really hard to get rid of I'd lie if I said that it's not a part of my life now I'm aware of it yeah 
and I'm much more comfortable in, in my own skin now, but yeah, yeah it, it, it hangs on. Yeah, it does. Mm. It does. And I find it still today that it still hangs on. And um, I've got to pull myself up all the time. I've actually got to say to myself on a regular basis every day, what other people think of me is none of my business. I, I have to develop an attitude of, you know, if my next door neighbour doesn't like me, well, that's a shame, but that's not my problem, that's yours. Mm-hmm. And I otherwise, I take on that judgment. Why doesn't he like me? Uh, what what uh, Am I a bad person? Is there something about me that that uh, offends him? Or what can I do to change my character so that I can suit that person? But what if he's got a major problem where he doesn't like yeah. anybody and the whole world has to change around him? Um, yeah, I don't know. And, of course, what we're not mentioning, Graeme, is that when you're living like this, um, when you're living like this, it takes you to some really dark places, you know, addictions and dysfunctional relationships and... Uh, and those things just, just drag you down even more as a man. Well, what other word goes with judgment? Um, criticism. Condemnation. Condemnation. Putting people down. Somebody else is applying a sentence to you, and in many cases, that can be a life sentence. In many cases, that can be something that you carry for your entire life. My dad was, yeah. my dad was very brilliant with his hands. He could build a you know, an amazing brick structure, for example. He was a bricklayer and as well as an earth mover and all sorts of other things. But he could build these incredible spiral brick chimneys on mansions um, designed out of his head. Now, his older brother told him when he was, uh, when he was only seven, Billy, you better be good with your hands because um, you're stupid. You've got no brain. <laughs> and my dad bought that. And you know, the week before he died, he actually mentioned that again. My, I remember my brother saying this to me and I said, but dad, you are so clever. Some of the stuff you've done is amazing and you've done it all out of your own head. Oh, no, I haven't got a brain. My brother told me. No. (laughs) Wow. So, you know, and you would have been, you probably weren't told you didn't have a brain or or were you? Were you you called stupid or? No, but oddly enough, I felt it. Um, But you weren't weren't called. But but my father Mm. was really good with his hands too. That's what I was thinking about when you mentioned that. Yeah. I mean, he was... uh, carpenter uh, plumber and fitter you know he could he could easily build a, a house half I saw him build half a house you know yeah he was so good with his hands he could fix anything yeah and make it last forever but he would never let me help him mm. you know and if I did something wrong when I was helping him yeah I'd get judged and and that might be why he never let me help him I was desperate when I was a little kid to help him because I wanted to learn to be like my dad, I guess, yeah. you know, most kids do. But the most that I ever got to do really was, um, you know, if he was holding, it was, if he had to put a beam up, he'd, 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 he'd get me to hold the other end because he, he needed someone to hold the other end, you know? Yeah. And so I grew up with this uh, idea that I'm no good with my hands. I'm only good with my, with my brain. And I guess uh, I have, fo- well, not I guess, I have focused my life in developing, uh, you know, my brain and and the things that I do with, you know, my oh, brain right. and writing and communicating and thinking and, and all those sorts of things. And now, it's true, you know, I'm 52, I'm actually not very good with my hands, but that's a fact. But you've told yourself that, and you know what? But, is it, but it's a fact because I've never done it, you know. I've steered away from it because I've always known... I'm not very good. I'm not any good with my hands. Well, you imparted that to me somehow because I bought that story about you too. Because I remember, you know, we're we're out here at the farm at the moment, and I last time you came to visit, I was building a chook house, 
and um, and it's pretty elaborate structure, the Chook Chapel. And you 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 build the best Chook houses. Oh, right? thanks. Gee, thanks, mate. Um, but you know, you wanted to you wanted to help. You said, you know, let me help you, Graham. And I got I was like your dad to you. I got you to do the menial things because I didn't trust that you could do the other stuff because that's what I got from you. I I got a yeah. sense of I'm no good at that sort of stuff. So I embraced the judgment that I'd I've, I'd received all my life. Yeah. But you know, if I do think back to a couple of things that I actually did build, I built a pantry for my wife in Sydney, for example. Yeah. It wasn't look. It wasn't pretty. You'd never see it in a furniture showroom. You know, kitchen showroom. Could you put Vegemite and peanut butter? I tell in? you what, <laughs> you could put. You could put kilo jars of everything on that pantry, and it would never come down. You probably over-engineered it because that's how your brain works. Well, bec- yeah, and I and I didn't have much of a clue how to do it. Yeah. It was a great pantry. Yeah, and that's the truth. It's my wife cover. loved it. My wife loved it. But you know what? Listening to your talk yesterday, just to get more in depth into this whole judgment concept we're talking about. Yeah, the question I asked myself is: Why are the prisons becoming overpopulated? And the churches are empty. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah. Why the prison's yeah. full and the church is empty? It really hit me. And it hit me because you were talking about judgment. And I think judgment, obviously judgment puts people in prison mm. because mm. of the, the law of the land. But I think it goes back further than that. I think the judgment of uh, others in people's lives when they're growing up gets them into dark spaces. We talked about that. You know, if you feel if you're feeling particularly bad about yourself um, to the extent where it drives you to an addiction which requires you to steal or, uh, or, or behave in a way where you, um, you, you're socially offensive and you get arrested and, mm-hmm. and before you know it or you take drugs and they're illicit and that's a whole other story as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. We won't go there now but the prisons are filling up with people who I believe never felt loved. In fact, I, I know it. I, I've seen the stats on it and I've spoken to a lot of people who've been in mm-hmm. prison um, my own wife is an example. My own wife, Michelle, spent three months in prison mm-hmm. for uh, driving repeatedly without a license. Mm-hmm. The judge never stopped to ask why she behaved the way she did. But people who know her story know that she was violently sexually abused every weekend as a child for six years by a member of her church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if any, if the judge had delved into her life and, and her feelings of um, not being loved and all that sort of stuff, he wouldn't have applied a jail sentence to her. There's no way in the world. Even the police were miffed that he'd done that. But then we found out later on that the judge did that because his daughter was killed by a speeding motorist 18 months earlier. So, you know, there's a whole lot of things at play. Mm. But I believe that prisons are full of people who never felt loved. Mm -hmm. And 95% of uh, people interviewed in prison about their fathers all say that they had no fathers or their fathers were useless or worse, they Mm. were abusers. Mm. They were fatherless, in other words. Mm. And when I think about the reason I never went into a church for... I didn't go into a church until I was in my Mm mid-50s. The reason I didn't go in was because I feared the judgment of the people in there. Mm -hmm. And in a way, by doing that, I was judging them. So I didn't go to church, uh, which which I started to do, um, you know, 12 years ago, and glad of it. I didn't attend a church because I felt I was going to be judged and they, they were going to look me up and down because they're all righteous and perfect. And in actual fact, when you tell somebody they're self-righteous, it's it's kind of a bit of an insult and it's mm. a judgment as well. Mm. 
now I realise that the church, people who are in churches are just as broken as I am. Well, the thing is that you talk about churches and the judicial system and prisons, but yep. you know the thing is that all of our institutions, our whole society, is built on on judgment, yep. and wrongly so. These people, a lot of these people in prison, uh, they weren't judged when the judge handed down the sentence. You know, they're in prison because they were judged a long time before that, yep. and they took on that judgment. And uh, they saw themselves as not being able to fit and relate and, mm. and whatnot. So they, you know, they've tried to find other ways of, of finding their identity. Their identity. And they've lost it in the process. Their identity. I, if I'm going to be judged by anybody, I want it to be by a much higher power than me. And I'm not talking about an earthly power. I don't want to be judged by, um, I, you know, appearing before a magistrate who doesn't know me who's about to pass a life-changing sentence upon me, whether it be a fine or a prison sentence or worse. Mm. I don't want that judgment in the hands of somebody like that. I want that judgment. I, I want to I live my life so that I can face the ultimate judge and live my life trusting that that judgment is going to be spot on because it will be. See, for me, that kind of life then is a, a non-judgmental life mm. that leaves judgment to that higher power. Yeah. The challenge is how do we live that kind of life and what are we talking about by judging in, in this conversation we're having? Because obviously we're not talking about, you know, deciding for yourself what is right and what is wrong. Well, it changes every day. Yeah, yes, it's not, we're not talking about that. In my mind, we're talking about how you relate to other people and how you see other people where you see them as less valuable, less worthy or less lovable and you just see them as less because you condemn the way they think or their choices or the way they look, the way they look mm. or the way they were, they were brought up. And that's the challenge. You're talking about how you should live, you know, yeah. in, to be judged by a higher power. How do you live so you are able to continue loving everyone, whether or not you agree with them? That's really challenging. It is, but I keep going back. You and I got a mutual mate, Kim Lomas, and, and he says this all the time. I can't judge I can't judge you. I've known you for years. I can't judge you, but because I don't know what's on your heart. I think for me, when I'm when I'm angry with somebody, or, or I look at somebody and I think, "What a stupid thing," or whatever. I wonder where they started the, this race that they're on. I wonder whether they were handicapped by something, and you know, did I have a better starting position than they did? And, and if I start thinking like that, it really takes the authority out of any judgment I have, and therefore makes it worthless. It, it's pointless to to judge. You know, you and I are very, very different in many ways, but we don't we don't judge each other. We love and support each other, mm. and um, you know we can look at things that we've um, we've done, even as we've been friends, and say, well, you could have said, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. And there've been times when you've told me you wouldn't have done what I did, and I've learned from that because I've given you permission to be authentic with me. Cuts both ways. That's right. So when you when you say I would have done that differently, you're not judging me, you're advising me. You're seeing a different way, and and I want to be. I flourish in an environment at work where people um, are able to offer opinions and offer them freely without fear of judgment, because I want to know what they're thinking in case I may have forgotten something. Mm. And that I can't have an environment like that that supports me and what I do as an airline captain unless everyone on my crew feels that they can approach me with anything without fearing judgment or condemnation. So there's this mutual thing about. Yeah, You know, we're talking about judging because also the flip side is that when I condemn someone, uh, then I'm actually applying the same standard of, judge, of judgment to myself. 
Yeah. You know, when you judge others, you're actually judging yourself and showing what kind of a person you are as well. And who else are you judging? You're also judging God. God. You know, because whoever you dislike mm. is as much loved by God as you are. Yeah, exactly right. So if if I look at my next-door neighbour and hate him, mm. I'm hating someone that God loves. So in actual fact, I'm saying, well, you didn't do a good job of that fellow next door, God. Mm. It's not my not my job. I want to dedicate my life to doing God's work, not God's job. Because I think when I, it, whenever I try to do God's job, I, I that would offend anybody. Mm. I don't know what I don't know what goes on in God's mind, and I know He's got a heart of grace, and He pours it out and endlessly, especially in, that I see in this ministry we do. I don't want to run the risk of offending that. You know, I want to get out of His way and let Him do His job and just work with Him to do whatever we have to do. Now you know, Graham, that I agree with you a hundred percent on what you're saying. But it's really challenging stuff, mm. uh, whatever perspective you take on this, because we all come come at this with a huge load of rubbish in our lives. Yeah, you know, we were talking the, at the beginning of this about our own experiences and how they've shaped our lives. So we yep. carry all that, and it's really hard to you know unpack all that. Yeah, how, how do you do it? Debrief, daily debrief. You know. Um I've got a partnership with my wife, Michelle, that's been really helpful in that, in that we, we, we constantly talk and she, we forever debrief. And, and, and she she's always shedding light on my character defects. No, let me put it another way. She's watching my back all the time. Hmm. She knows I want to be the best I can be. Yep. And I know she wants to be the best she can be. So she's always calling me on my stuff. Did you realise you said that with a certain tone of voice and I think you offended that person? And, and then... I'll, I'll listen, instead of getting all hoity-toity and building walls around myself, I'll say, here's a gift that I'm being given, and what can I do about that? So if that means I've got to go and apologise to somebody, I will. And I do the same for her. So I think it's important to debrief, and I think it's important to reflect at the end of your day as to how you've been, and do it in a way because you want to develop your character to be uh, better every day. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep improving every day if that's what you do. Mm. Um, what do you do? Well, uh, it's been really tough for me. You know, you know some of my journey. Yeah. Um, uh, yours has been tough too, but I'm just, you ask me. Yeah. What do I do? I, I reckon most people go through life not understanding who they are. Yeah. And not really understanding why they react or respond or make the decisions that they do. And I think that that was me, that has been me for most of my life. Mm. And I'm only waking up in you know more recent times in the last uh, few years, really. And the more that you understand yourself, then the more that you can unpack some of this stuff and and you can see the effect that you've had on on others and the more open you can be to other other people. You know most people, when they're judged or hurt or wounded by life, what they do is they they go into lockdown. You know, they put iron bars around their heart and... Or attack mode. Attack mode, yeah. F- flight or fight. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And I did, I've done that all my life. Rather than actually uh, face the issues and enter into, into dialogue. And that's what you're talking about in terms of uh, debriefing on, on a regular basis. How painful has that been? It's really painful because you've got to like unpeel layers off your life, you know, that you've put up to protect yourself. Mm. Layers. And they, they are layers of identity that you've built up. But at the end of the day, you know it's not who you really are. Yeah. Because to carry those layers actually hurts. Yeah. 
mm. and it hurts others uh, because they impact how you they impact every part of you, how you communicate and your relationships. For me, another really important aspect of how I do this or how I'm learning to uh, to cope and and be non-judgmental because I grew up in a very judgmental environment. It really shaped my life. And I've got to say, is the reliance on that higher power, you know, knowing that there is a God, and and I might be far away from the ideal that He sets out for me, yeah. but because He is such a good, good Father in heaven, and His love is eternal, mm. you know, and His compassion and His mercy and His His ex- acceptance of of me and uh, my fellow travelers on this earth is so vast, then, you know, that challenges me to know that I can't continue to live the way I've lived. You know, getting my identity and feeling good because I judge others as being worse than me, mm. basically. So relying on, on God and learning to know how good and how loving He is has, has been really helpful to me. And that's not a journey that comes to an end anytime soon, you know, for anyone, but it's, it's the best journey to be on. Let me ask you a provocative question, if I may. Most people think that God's up there keeping a record book of keeping a score of all their indiscretions and all their sins and stuff like that. You know, wouldn't that scare a lot of people into wondering what it's going to be like on that day when that book's opened and, and all those things are revealed? Well, what, what the Bible says is that, yes, God knows everything. So, in effect, there there is a record of everything, everything that we do. However, when we come to him and ask forgiveness and when we open our hearts and we're like honest and authentic with him yeah. and, and ask for him to forgive the things that we've done wrong, when we are in a relationship of trust with God, what he does is, is that those books of the records of our sins are, are wiped clean and he never sees that in us again. Instead, he sees us as his perfect children. The Bible also says, you know that verse, I'm um, sure you do, John 3.16, yeah. really favorite verse uh, of um, followers of Jesus everywhere. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Just a couple of verses after that, it says, he who believes in him shall not be condemned. You know, Or another translation says, will not come into judgment, but has eternal life. And to mm. know that God isn't sitting up there judging me, but rather he has given me eternal life already because I have because I have trusted in him and I'm in a relationship with him. To know that makes it possible for me to look at my own life in that light. When I do that, I don't see it anymore through what, you know, my parents might have told me, what they told me at school or, mm. or my other friends might have told me. But I, I slowly start to look at at who I am, my own identity, in terms of who God created and meant me to be. You know, I just had a scary thought, Ellie. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Bible's a fairly new book to me and everything, but um, getting into the Garden of Eden and realising that there was a time in Earth's history where a serpent spoke to Eve and said, go on, eat this apple or eat this piece of fruit off the tree. And God had already told them not to touch it. Don't touch that. And here's this serpent who we now know to be the, the devil. Mm-hmm. Go on, eat it, you know. Oh, no, I can't eat it. Yeah, you can. Don't believe everything God tells you. He's just uh, out for his own ends. We all bought that. Yeah. We all bought that. And and that's been passed on. And we, you talked about judgment yesterday when you are speaking to that vast throng of eight people. Um, mm-hmm. You said you, you, you brought it down to basically 
judgment is judgment is centered around two choices. You either choose to trust God or you don't, mm. or you choose to um, to be good or not good. Well, well, specifically two trees in the Garden of Eden. It says there were two trees. Flesh that out for me. Yeah. Well, the tree of life. Yep. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. And the reason why we've all bought this judging way of living is because we all want more power. Yeah. You know? And but there is there are some powers that only belong, belongs to God and the power of judgment only belongs to God. It's not ours to condemn others. And so you have these two trees. One tree, uh, if you sit under it, you, you eat the fruit, you know, you're going to live. That's Forever. what it says. Yeah. That's right, the tree of life. Mm. The other tree is the opposite. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not about knowing what good and evil is. It's what you do with it, right? Because this tree, if you sit under it, if you eat of that knowledge, you're going to die. Mm. Right? And when you judge others, other people, as good and evil, and you think that you know that, and you're sitting in God's throne, and you think that you're doing God's job, which is what you were talking about before, yeah. that leads to death. It'll kill your relationships. It'll kill you know, your peace, your, your happiness. Mm. Uh, it'll derail and ultimately destroy your life. And I think that maybe there'll come a day when the judgment will be put to us about God. I reckon there'll, there'll come a time when we'll be asked, you know, do you trust God? Uh, is God to be trusted or not? And that's the biggest judgment of all. You know, I can imagine somebody saying, well, you know, I wanted to trust him, but my wife died of cancer and, uh, you know, I've been, I've been a good Christian all my life. Why did he do that to me? And maybe the record books will be open to, to show that God actually did do everything that he could to support and help and love you through that. And at the end of the day, we're, we're going to have to work out for ourselves whether we really trust God or not. And that's what, that's what the devil wanted to divert away from right from the very beginning of time. Yeah, I believe that too. However, in a way, uh, we're making that judgment every day. We are. You know, in, in the decisions we make about whether we're going to trust God. When we judge others and, and try to make ourselves feel better by putting others down and we refuse to forgive and we hold bitterness and we, we hold onto resentments, what we're doing is we're not trusting God to do his job of looking after those things. Oh, scary see? to admit it, but that's me. Yeah. You know, I'm sick of living for most of my life under the tree of death. And what I want to do and I've been striving to do is to sit under that tree of life and I want... You know, when I open my mouth uh, for life to pour out into the person I'm talking to, into, you know, my family, to my friends, into all my relationships. Uh, and I know that when that happens, life is all also pouring into me. Yeah. That's how it works. Well, I reckon that's a really good point to finish the discussion on judgment because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a constant battle that we all face and I just uh, keep praying that I make the right choices each day. Great talking to you, Ellie. Awesome, Graham. We'll be doing it again soon, eh? I think we should. I enjoy it if nobody else does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they do. Love you, mate. See you. Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts and hang-ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening.
Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.